I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. Oakland's Montclair neighborhood is known for its tall trees, hiking trails, and laid-back hillside vibes. But last week, it was the site of a contentious and emotional town hall meeting. I just wanted to ask a question. All right, we're, we're not going to be able to have any meeting if people keep on calling out. All right, stop. Stop, please. Residents from across Oakland packed a local church to debate how to address public safety concerns in the city. It was motivated by a noticeable rise in most crimes, especially robberies and assaults. Some of the attendees aimed their frustrations squarely at one person, Alameda County DA Pamela Price. What I experienced, along with my friend from Berkeley, who will never come to Oakland again. Do you hear that? Because she was dragged by her hair across the sidewalk, I just want to say that there must be consequences. It's unreal that there are no consequences for these children. Last year, Price won the county's DAC in a historic election. She's the first black person to hold the position, and she ran on a reformist platform, which included not charging youth as adults and lowering prison sentences. The town hall was jam-packed with both critics and supporters of Price, who had been invited to speak at the Montclair meeting. She tried to explain her role in Oakland's public safety system and what is and is not within her control. The district attorney is not the police officer. The district attorney is not the person who stops crime from happening, who catches the criminals, who investigates the cases. The district attorney is the person that decides after a crime has occurred, what does justice look like for the people who have been impacted by that crime? But her approach has been controversial with some residents, including those who live in wealthy neighborhoods like Montclair, where there have been some high-profile incidents. I am a victim of carjacking up in the Oakland Hills on July 1st at 10 a.m. in the morning. I was pulled out of my car at gunpoint and deposited in the middle of the street. They took my bag. They took everything. This is 10 o'clock in the morning up here in Oakland. Dear Price, I voted for you, and today I ask you what I don't feel safe here. Those kinds of fears have now culminated in a recall effort to oust the Alameda County District Attorney less than a year after she took office. Sound kind of familiar? San Francisco residents know a little something about that. Today on Fifth Emission, who is to blame for the uptick in crimes in Oakland? Chronicle reporter Rachel Swan will join me to discuss the policies of Alameda County DA Pamela Price and how some residents are rallying to recall her. And later, data reporter Susie Nielsen breaks down Oakland's crime data. Is there really a surge? And what might be missing from the heated conversations about recalling Price? First, Rachel Swan, thanks so much for being here. A few weeks ago, a recall committee formed to oust Alameda County DA Pamela Price. Who's behind the effort? So we know the people behind it, according to the campaign filings, are Carl Chan. He's a pretty prominent public safety advocate in Oakland Chinatown, who's also held office at the Chamber of Commerce. The other person listed is a man named Philip Dreyfus, who is a Piedmont resident who is lesser known, but appears to be heavily involved in the campaign. They have a, I guess, catchy name, Save Alameda for Everyone or Safe, which is the type of moniker that, you know, a lot of these campaigns have. 
Okay, so this committee safe is looking to recall Price, whose election was historic. She's the first black DA in Alameda County, and she's part of this national movement of reform-minded or progressive prosecutors. What kind of policy changes has she made since taking office? She's actually made some pretty significant policy changes. Early in her administration, she sent out a memorandum with new guidelines for sentencing. They were very similar to the ones that Los Angeles County District Attorney George Gascon enacted when he took office. Basically, she's really trying to curtail enhancements, which add years to prison sentences, restricting use of gun enhancements, gang enhancements, all these things that prosecutors typically tack on to make a sentence longer for more serious crimes. She's basically saying that you need a supervisor's approval, a high-level supervisor, meaning her, to charge any enhancements for crimes. I mean, she's also said that she wants to give people who are under age 25 a break. Like other progressive DAs, she's really trying to chip away at mass incarceration by just making sentences shorter and charging fewer enhancements. She uh, created a new investigative division to open old cases in which police officers shot someone or used lethal force. She's prosecuted police officers. And yeah, she's really changed the leadership of the DA's office to reflect this new philosophy. This new philosophy is what helped her win her election last November with 53% of the votes. But now, She's facing a ton of pushback. Why? Price was very clear about what she was setting out to do. And her platform, to be clear, hasn't been different from other progressive prosecutors, say Gascon in Los Angeles or, you know, Chase Boudin in San Francisco. But critics say, you know, that people are mad about her basically effectively getting rid of enhancements. They think she's going too light on people who are accused of very serious crimes As would be expected, you know, this is a regime change and it's a significant philosophy change in the DA's office. So she's made a lot of management changes and a lot of staff changes. She's actually moved her office away from the county seat and out into East Oakland. So some people see her as being very reclusive and and hiding from the public. There's been a lot of criticism of her management style and, you know, a lot of prosecutors have left the office you know, there have been a couple of high-profile cases where people perceived her as going too light on uh, the perpetrators. One was a man accused of killing three people. It involved Price getting into a dispute with a judge who thought she was offering too light of a plea deal to this man, Delonzo Logwood. There's also the Jasper Wu case, which was a toddler killed in a gun battle on 880, and people really worried that she wasn't going to heavily charge the perpetrators in that extremely high-profile shooting. So, you know, there was pushback against Price from the beginning, but criticism has really been building over time, especially as we're seeing more crime in Oakland. And, um, I mean, recently we saw the NAACP step in and send out public statements in which they criticized not only Price, but lots of city leaders and asked for a declaration of a public emergency. But they really blamed Price for some of the crime and catastrophe that was befalling the city. 
At the same time, Rachel, Pamela Price has been notoriously sort of selective about how she responds to her critics and media requests. How has she responded to the recall effort so far? How What is she saying? Well, she's coming out pretty strong. She compared the recall effort in public statements to the January 6th insurrection on the Capitol. She's basically accused her opponents of being outside special interest groups, people backed by the Republican Party, outsiders trying to interfere with the will of the voters who elected her to office. She's also made the argument that opponents were kind of gearing up for a recall from day one or even before day one. Finally, she said that the district attorney alone cannot really control crime patterns in a city. Rightly or wrongly, a lot of what seems to be animating the recall is, you know, this uptick of robberies and carjackings in Oakland that we're seeing. And she's saying, you know, there's a lot of complicated elements that contribute to crime patterns and one person doesn't hold the responsibility for all crime. And she and other progressive prosecutors as well have placed a lot of emphasis on the root causes of crime, economic factors, poverty, joblessness, things that drive people into crime, more of a social safety net philosophy. Rachel, the Bay Area is no stranger to DA recalls. San Francisco voters ousted former DA Chesa Boudin last year. Do political analysts think there are some strong parallels here with this effort to recall Price in Alameda County? What might be the same or different? Alameda County is pretty different from San Francisco. I've heard one political analyst say that it's it's a lot denser. You have a Democratic club on every corner. It's uh, very politically activated. Alameda County is a lot more spread out. It's really a lot harder to to galvanize voters for a recall. With San Francisco, I mean, keep in mind, Chesa Boudin's recall came right off the recall of school board members. It seemed like there was an air of inevitability to it. I mean, and there were a lot of groups that were part of the recall that were very organized. I mean, you had Brooke Jenkins, who kind of was the spearhead. There was also, you know, this wave of attacks on Asian Americans and Asian elders. Not to say that everyone in the Asian community of San Francisco was against Boudin, but you you had this really, you know, activist community that was very organized and helped energize the recall. So, I mean, in a way, it was just this broad reaching, very organized effort. And, you know, we're not yet seeing that in Alameda County. Carl Chan, who's been kind of the public voice of the recall, is a powerful figure in his own right. So maybe this will be a test of his influence, but you're not really seeing the level of energy and organization in Alameda County that you saw in San Francisco. Rachel, you recently reported on a number of women in Oakland who suffered armed robberies or carjackings. No matter where you stand on price, it is clear that many residents are feeling unsafe. They're scared. What did you take away from that reporting? One thing I took away is that the the women really felt discarded 
not just by price, but by the entire system. You know, they also felt that they weren't really getting a lot of empathy from from Oakland city leaders or from law enforcement, you know, but they also weren't getting a lot of help they felt from Price, who does have a victim services arm. The women's stories uh, that I heard kind of showed to me how far reaching this crime that we're seeing had become. A lot of them were assaulted in the daytime, you know, when it was in a, a rose garden, you know, some near Piedmont Avenue, you know, areas that like are, there's a lot of foot traffic, they're bustling, they're, it kind of like drove home how this is really happening all over Oakland now. Just how bad has crime gotten in Oakland? Residents are reporting brazen attacks and armed robberies, but how does that compare to historical crime trends in the city? Chronicle Data reporter Susie Nielsen will share her findings after a quick break. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. I'm back with Chronicle reporter Susie Nielsen. Susie, before the break, Rachel Swan explained how Oakland residents' crime concerns have rallied efforts to recall Alameda County DA Pamela Price. Now, in the past, you've helped us make sense of violent crime stats in San Francisco, sharing that those numbers are actually down in the city, contrary to what some may believe. What's been happening across the bridge in Oakland? Unfortunately, we're not seeing the same kind of stagnancy to decline that we see in San Francisco. Oakland is really in the midst of a really troubling surge in both violent and property crime right now. So a few numbers. The homicide count in Oakland as of the first half of this year was still up by 80% compared to 2019. And assaults and robberies were up by about 40% and 20% respectively. And property crime has also surged, particularly car-related property crimes. So car break-ins and car thefts are very high right now. Now, some people like to point out, Susie, that, you know, violent crimes have long been an issue in Oakland, that the current attention on these crimes sort of neglects that perspective. But when you look at the data, how does it compare to historical trends? Is Oakland experiencing an all-time high, which some people feel like that might be the case? Oakland is definitely in the midst of a surge compared to where it was before the pandemic, but it is important to place that into perspective. So Oakland's violent crime rate was actually significantly higher in most of the 90s and much of the 2000s and early 2010s. And then starting around 2015, the city saw this really significant downward shift in violent crime and particularly homicides. They were essentially almost cut in half over a couple of years. And a lot of experts have tried to figure out what happened in Oakland that made its violent crime rate go down so much. And we also saw this decline in violent crime in a couple of other Bay Area cities, including Richmond and San Francisco. But one thing that I found really interesting in reporting on this was that a lot of researchers looked specifically at the impacts of community violence prevention work. So the work of organizations like Youth Alive, which involves, you know, volunteers going to hospitals where kids who have been shot 
and talk to that person to convince them not to retaliate, to set them up with social services, a lot of just direct work. And researchers have found that that work was really influential in curbing violent crime rates in Oakland. And they found that even after controlling for demographic changes to Oakland, as we all know, the city has gentrified a lot in the last couple of decades. So those effects were independent of gentrification. Going back to the current spike, what has been contributing to the spike? Is it pandemic related or something else? Crime is such a multifaceted thing, and there are so many reasons why it goes up and down. And the smartest criminologists, the ones I trust, are the ones who say they still don't know fully why anything goes up or down. But most experts agree on a few things because this violent crime surge happened in most places, specifically the homicide surge. And they believe that the lockdowns contributed to this sense of social unrest, which contributed to this big surge in gun buying. So in Oakland specifically, there's been this big surge in the number of ghost guns that have been flooding into communities. And ghost guns are unserialized guns that people often use in crimes because they're harder to trace. So that's one thing. The lockdowns made school shut down, and that meant that vulnerable teens that may not have had other forms of social support were just left with nothing, and they turned to other things to do, including violent crime. You know, a lot of people also lost their jobs at the start of the pandemic, and that contributed to a sense of stress that many families felt. So these are a couple of different things that people have pointed to. I think Oakland is uniquely vulnerable to some of these issues because it does have a high number of lower-income black and brown youth who are left in the lurch. Like, they're the first people to be left in the lurch when this kind of thing happens. And there's also kind of this pre-existing issue with violence that was tamped down a, a lot by the work of these violence prevention groups and when COVID hit. A lot of these groups couldn't do their work anymore the way that they wanted to do. You spoke a little bit about that violence prevention work. What do crime experts say are some successful strategies that should continue? The Caught in the Crossfire program that I mentioned was really effective, I think, in bringing, you know, these volunteers directly into the hospitals to talk with teenagers. Another thing that these programs do will often be provide young people who don't have other social support with tutoring and after-school programs. I think a lot of the work that these violence prevention organizations do is provide a link between the police and communities that don't usually trust the police. So violence prevention workers will talk to families who have experienced violence but don't trust the police enough to actually talk to the police. And then they will do the interviews. They'll show up with compassion and with an effort to understand and make it feel less like an interrogation and more like, how can we help you? How can we figure out how to address this in a kind of larger community-focused way? So if research has shown that those kinds of efforts correlate with lower violent crimes, it seems like it makes sense to sort of expand the resources to fund those kind of efforts. Does the current spike in violent crimes mean that will happen? So actually, right now, it's the opposite. And that's because the city of Oakland is facing what some people are calling kind of a budget crisis. Under the budget that's been approved, the city's Department of Violence Prevention, which is kind of the overarching department that's overseeing this community police network of violence prevention efforts, that department is seeing a $4 million cut to its budget in the next two fiscal years. 
And community advocates that I spoke with are really concerned about this cut. It's actually less of a cut than it was going to be. I think initially it was about $6.5 million of a proposed cut. But they're still concerned that a lot of these cuts will be made to the department's external contracts, which include organizations like Youth Alive. Reports have found that these cuts could influence up to 2,000 people, most of them Black and Latino people, receiving fewer interventions and fewer support systems from the city. So the Oakland Police Department, on the other hand, will see a slight increase to its budget over the next two fiscal years. Some people may want that approach, more resources to the police department and stronger prosecutions. And that's precisely why Alameda County DA Pamela Price is in the crosshairs. Now, Susie, since you looked at Oakland's crime data closely, what might be missing from the discussion about a potential recall of Price? Pamela Price is facing accusations on a number of different dimensions. So some folks are accusing her office of being dysfunctional, which is a thing we saw also in accusations against Chesa Boudin's office. Another thing is that they're going after her or, or accusing her of making poor decisions in individual high-profile cases. And then the third thing that people are arguing is that her actions and her office's actions are contributing to this surge in violent crime that we're seeing citywide. Criticisms about her office contributing to crime are just fundamentally misguided and not based in historical evidence. So firstly, this surge started happening in 2020 when the much more moderate DA, Nancy O'Malley, was the DA. And second, when you look at the last 25 years of crime rates in Oakland, they're just up and down all the time. And, you know, the DA for about 15 years before Nancy O'Malley was Tom Orloff, who was also seen as a moderate guy. He was criticized for not charging police officers in shootings, for example. So you're really seeing zero correlation here between a violent crime rate in the city and the, who was DA at that time. And there's actually some really good research that's starting to come out more nationally about the links between prosecutors and crime rates, because this is a really popular talking point. There's this 2021 paper by this team that looked at 35 different jurisdictions that had elected what they called reform-minded prosecutors. So that would be a progressive prosecutor. And they looked at all 35, and they found no correlation and no real connection between crime rates and a progressive DA's election. So I think that study was really exhaustive. The DA's office isn't tasked with responding to or preventing crime. It's tasked with charging. And in Oakland, as in many major cities, the police are not solving a majority of crimes they're not even solving a majority of homicides in Oakland right now. So you can see that there's a bigger breakdown that's happening way before any crime gets to the DA's office. There's so much crime going on in Oakland right now. There's not a lot of police community trust. And there's so many deeper factors that have to be addressed before we really think about what role the DA plays in crime rates. This is certainly really complicated. Thank you for helping us understand it, Susie. Thank you. Susie Nielsen is a data reporter at The Chronicle. Thanks to her and my other guests, reporter Rachel Swan, for being on the show. You can find their reporting on Pamela Price and Crimes in Oakland online at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thank you to the North Hills Community Association for the town hall audio you heard earlier. This episode was produced by Keith Manconi and edited by Gary Baca. Thanks for listening. <laughs>